podcast listeners, welcome to our latest edition of Brain Lava, Team Odia's podcast dedicated to all things marketing and technology. Today we have a very special guest who is going to help us all get smart about website accessibility, which is becoming a pretty uh, large issue especially recently. So Joe Barsness with our friends at Fjorge Digital is here. Hi, Joe. Good morning, Patty. How are you? I'm doing great. So Fjorge is one of our dev partners who helps us with our uh, development and coding of all of our websites, apps, etc. And uh, Joe has been keeping tabs on all things happening with website accessibility and how ADA is suddenly becoming more and more applicable, if you will, to websites. So we thought it would be a great idea for Joe to come in and help us get all of our listeners smart about what we need to to know and do as we're seeing more and more of this in the news, in the marketing world, etc. So so you, do you want to start with the dominoes ruling? Because that seems to be kind of what's brought this to the forefront or even maybe a little sure. history before that. Yeah, so I can I can talk a little bit about how we got to where we are um, and then specifically talk about uh, Domino's Pizza ruling. So accessibility on the web starts from the Americans with Disabilities Act, the same laws that affect restaurants needing to have an accessible bathroom, parking spaces, uh, different elevators, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. So that law was created in 1990, I believe, and signed into law by President George W. Bush. Okay. And now we are faced with focusing that law on the web. The only problem with that is World Wide Web did not exist in 1990. Right, right. And so that has created a lot of confusion around this industry. So fast forward 20, well, 15, 15 years and individuals with disabilities not being able to access content or purchasing on websites have begun uh, demanding via lawsuits that they be able to have the same level of access to digital properties, the same way they have access to um, wheelchair accessible bathrooms, those sorts of things. So the Domino's case is interesting because a user was claiming, a plaintiff was claiming that they couldn't order pizza on dominospizza.com. That's an, an issue under this law. Right. And Domino's disagreed. So there was a couple of different court cases. So at the, the lower court ruled that that was an issue and they needed to they needed to remediate their website is the term. Mm-hmm. And Domino's disagreed and they took it to the appeals court. Um, and eventually got to the U.S. Supreme Court. Right, which was just and, last month. Yep, and, and they actually, uh, my story may be going backwards a little bit, they, <clears throat> they actually upheld, they did not want to see the case, which meant that the lower court ruling was correct, and Domino's was faced with financial compensation, remediating their digital properties, and paying for court fees, lawyer fees for the plaintiffs. And for Domino's, if my reading's correct, it was their website as well as their app. Correct. Neither one was, for this plaintiff, able to be used for operational, actually being able to order a pizza. Yes. And that was kind of the crux of the the Domino's. Correct. 
So why this is kind of coming into the forefront for a lot of us is because of last month's ruling where the Supreme Court said we're upholding what the lower court said. And yes, marketers, website owners, you now need to find a way to apply these ADA regulations, Mm -hmm. which were written for physical buildings, but apply them to now your digital assets. You got it. So how do we do it? Yeah. So... Uh, I mean, I think I think the first thing to set the stage for the different types of disabilities that we're talking about. So number one, 20% of Americans have a disability of the following that I'm going to mention. So there is low vision. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, folks who increase the font size on right. a site right. or their device. Right. That's Yours the most truly. common accessibility feature used that people don't think about as an accessibility feature. That also comes to play with color contrast, not putting a black text on a blue background. I can't tell the difference between my black socks and my blue socks. Same issue. I'm black and red. Same thing. Put black text on red. I'm not going to read it. There is physical accommodations as well. So um, I think the easiest way to think about this is, can you navigate a website or your website using a keyboard or do you get stuck? The other big one would be a braille display, which is a device that looks like a keyboard, but as you're reading content, it is essentially changing to braille so that somebody with no vision can can read that content. Okay. There's cognitive. This is the one that I think people forget about the most, is that there are different cognitive things um, that can cause an issue for different folks. I think the best example uh, that I've been given is that sliders can be really distracting for certain cognitive issues. So those those animated banners that slide in and slide out, yeah. it's really hard for people to focus, if some certain groups of people to focus when, when given that scenario. Okay. Um, the final one, and probably the most common, like real deep issue is being able to navigate a website using only audio. So the industry term is a screen reader, mm-hmm. uh, a piece of software that anybody, so there are free versions and paid versions, to be able to listen to the content and navigate your website using audio-only controls, meaning listening to it and typically using a keyboard or something like that to get to the next thing. I think the best example that I can think of how to describe what that's like, and you can certainly go watch or download one of these screen readers yourself and, and do it is I like to use the mega menu example. So a mega menu is when you're hovering over uh, a menu item on a website and like 50 options display. For those of us who are visual, it's really easy to, by the way it's organized, it's very easy to see what options you might do. But to a user who's only accessing that using a screen reader, that's like calling your local utility and, and saying press one to speak with customer service Press two to speak with sales. Press 50 to speak with, you know. Tech. Tech. Yeah. And can you imagine trying to get through that and go, oh, I think 13 is the best. But let me listen to the next 37 options to figure that out. So organizing a menu in a different structure so that it's got heads and subheads and organized in a structure, even if it's not visually organized that way, organizing it within code to make that easier for a user to navigate your website. And I think that's an important distinction as we go through this. A lot of what website owners and marketers have to do may or may not affect the the front end, if you will, the visual right. side. It doesn't what you just said doesn't mean we have to do away with mega menus. No. There are there are different workarounds. There are okay. certain things that come to a head, but that's pretty few and far between. I think the basics are that you know you can be 80% strong in building a site 
or remediating a site to an accessibility standard just by writing good, clean code. Best practices align well with ADA. Same with SEO. So uh, strong SEO typically aligns really well with accessibility as well. So tagging things, organizing. And I like the example I like to use is that the Google bot crawls a website much in the same way that a screen reader does. Yeah. So if you're organized screen reader wise, likely Google will know how to index your site. And it's a step in the right direction there as well. So when we're pushing for good tagging, good alt tags, good snippets, that's the exact thing that Google reads to you bump you on the results page. It's the exact same thing that the screen readers then audibly read that helps someone who to actually listen to your site. Yep. So correct. good practice goes in both ways. Yeah, I think the the a good example there would be like a button, maybe an image on a website and it says like buy. But if it's if that's an image that's there and in the code it's just button, a user has no idea what they're clicking on. They they're clicking on a button. Yeah. So you need to put a description of what that button does. Takes you to cart page or, you know, buy now, you know, just using the same thing that you would put on on the button for a visual user, you need to describe where that user is going to be taken next. And that's why it's important to make sure you're working with a dev team who's really up to date on this because that is something that a content person loading the site, changing out a blog, doing the tags on a, a new blog post or new photos or new products, there's good practice there, but there also has to be good practice in actually the development of the site because something like tagging a button happens with your team, for example, not with my team. Yeah, I think the best way to think about that is, you know, most developers on, on websites these days is are, are using a CMS, some form of a CMS, a content management system, so that marketers can make updates to their website. And we need to give you that spot on the back end of the website to put those tags in yeah. or... When you're building a new page, you know, more or less forcing you to put a describing word on a button rather than just like, oh, yeah, well, we can do that in code later. And then it gets missed every time. So this is which I think is a good point is this is an ongoing effort. So uh, building a website with accessibility in mind starts with the design, that visual piece. Then having someone who's done it before can make the process go a lot smoother. It's also a lot less expensive to build with accessibility in mind. Yes. Than to build without it in mind and then going back and remediating sites to meet a standard, which we get a fair amount of work that way as well. And so it really is one of those things that you got to have throughout the process to really do it well and set yourself up for success. Talk a little bit about the guidelines that are starting to be kind of the industry standard as as these are, are coming out to try and meet those four different accessibility concerns. There's, there's guidelines now that are starting to kind of become the de facto ADA, if you will, for digital. Yep. So talk a little bit about those and how those are going to continue to evolve to your point. Yeah. So this is a little bit of the muddy part of this uh, issue right now. Yeah. Um, so we're applying this law that was created before any activity on the World Wide Web existed. And so... This is, you know, the the part that's mo uh, that a lot of people do this for is so that they don't get demand letters or they aren't sued for their lack of accessibility on a website. And the tough part is there's no law that tells you exactly how to be compliant. Right. And so there there's something called WCAG or WCAG, as we say in short, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. 
that is just a formation of generally accepted accounting principles uh, kind of a thing. Right. Um, and so there is well-documented best practices for this. Most common, there are three levels. There's A, AA, AAA. And then you hear, you'll hear the term 2.0 or 2.1. Right. Those are the, the, the latest guidelines. So most companies or any that we recommend, we recommend getting to a point where you're meeting WCAG 2.0 AA standards. That's kind of the, the way to get the right usability, the right value without going overboard. Right. You get to AAA and you have a very ugly website that maybe doesn't serve its function for other folks. Um, and so 2.0 AA WCAG is kind of the, the ongoing standard. So those are guidelines. There is Within that, if you go and go to that website, there's different guidelines that are listed. And then there's also some like examples and some best practices and how teaching you a little bit how to do it. And so that's a good place just to start, particularly if you're a developer. Right. There's also a tool that can scan your current website. Yep. Uh, it's called the Wave Tool, yep. free. There's other free tools. There's one in the Lighthouse is the Google one that you can find right in Chrome. Um, it at least gives you an idea of uh, what you're up against and some maybe some low-hanging fruit just by simply tagging or seeing something, not putting a header in, at the top or whatever it might be. There's some easy wins typically, but as you get deeper and deeper, it gets more and more involved to, to make something both beautiful, beautiful to the visually impaired and beautiful to those that need to navigate your website a different way. Which is going to be an ongoing challenge and balance that, you know, especially our designers are going to continually to be pushed as they love things that might be a little bit more delicate or colors that might be a little bit less with contrast. So continuing for them to develop their skills as to how do you design a beautiful site that still meets these standards mm -hmm. is going to be an interesting evolution as well, I think, from our perspective. And then also realizing that the 2.0 guidelines are not prescriptive. They're very much like, here you go, now figure it out for your website because the Fjord website looks very different than the Odea website. Yep. And you have to apply that yeah. standard to what you're attempting to do. And that's it is very possible, but it's, it's also the gray area of this whole thing. There's no one group or tool or thing that can say yes and it, that you are 100% compliant. Now, this is one of those things that, that it's, the standard is like implementing best practices is what you need to be kind of at. Yeah. Almost every website has an error or two left on it and that's a decision, business decision that in general you're complying, but this one feature or something like that may not be, it may not be 100% clear that you're complying. So are there a couple like best practices, like two to three things that as folks are listening that you would say, take a look at these things that, that are just like the, the low hanging fruit. And then kind of beyond that, talk with your marketing team, talk with your agency, talk with your dev team, call Odia, call Fjorge yep. as you need to dig deeper. But are there a couple just kind of like low hanging, make sure all your alt tags are in and make sense that folks can do today? Yes. So I think that's kind of the, the number one thing, the easiest, typically people have places to put alt tags. So alt tags on all of your images. Now, not necessarily a, a background drapery sort of image, but more like describing the image that's in front of a user if it's meaningful, more than decorative, I guess is the term. There's that aspect of it. 
There's also, you know, check font sizes. That's a big, easy win if it fits well with your design. Right. And then there's also color contrast checkers. Yeah. And those are things that, you know, really help users and also really help plaintiffs find that you're making mistakes because they can automate those tests and look for sites that aren't meeting those standards. Perfect. Well, thanks for stopping in today. Thanks for having me. Giving us this, this background and this lay of land. As always, we love to hear from folks who are listening. So you can find us at hello at tmodia.com or www.tmodia.com. And then how can they find you? I guess Joe Barsness on uh, B-A-R-S-N-E-S-S on LinkedIn. Or uh, our web URL is fjorgedigital.com. I will spell that for (laughs) everybody. F as in Frank, J-O-R-G-E digital.com. Awesome. So thanks for listening as always. And uh, we'll be back with more marketing and tech knowledge next issue.